as we're getting into this, again, a little, little bit of a balancing act here. Um, there are lots of soundtracks being played around my house right now, and so Lucy can't say Alexa, my daughter, she's two and a half, her exes aren't great, and so um, it's kind of just, you know, like she just yells, Alexa, Alexa. Like the exes are just not clear, so Alexa doesn't pick up on it, thankfully, but if Alexa could, then she'd always be playing, almost always be playing a soundtrack from whatever movie Lucy is into at the time, okay? And, uh, and so most recently, uh, that's been Lion King. And so the Lion King soundtrack has been going on, and we actually have some of that for you. This is not the, this is, uh, this is the alternative Lion King. Hey, yeah, there you go. So it might, depending on how old you are, it might, not strike any chord with you or might take you back to a very particular season. Uh, we're going to leave it on through the whole time, actually, so see how much you can lock in. Another, but but there's, there's other soundtracks that, that do the same thing. It's, it very much like keys you into that story and that movie, okay? Here's another one. See if you recognize this one. Yeah. <clears throat> a, few, a few people recognize that one. Uh, here, if, maybe, maybe if you're, that's maybe dated a little bit, although there's all these new ones coming out all the time. I, I can't keep track. Uh, here's another one. This, this might key you into another movie as well. Yeah. Let that sit for a little bit too. Um, when, I hear, when I hear those notes being played, I can see... Uh, in an animated film version, going through the snow, and you see Elsa walking up this mountains from Frozen, and uh, it, so it's not even just the movie that these soundtracks pull you into; it's a particular part of a movie. Uh, and and so my daughter requests songs based on the part of the movie. She doesn't say "Let It Go." She says "Elsa Sad" or "Happy." She doesn't. It's like, is she happy or sad? It's actually confusing emotionally, um, or like. <laughs> Simba, sad song, you know, Anna, sad. She's like very much into the sad songs. And so, but it's, it's the part of the movie that she's keyed in on that the soundtrack pulls you into. So it pulls you into not just a story, but a particular part of a story. And, uh, and there's a hymn that's like the soundtrack for the part of the Christmas story we're looking at today. And so uh, the hymn, it, it reads, just, just listen to this. It says, hark. The herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. And that was written by a guy named Charles Wesley. Uh, Charles Wesley wrote a ton of hymns. This one was actually written in his first year of being a follower of Jesus. Isn't that cool? So just right out of the gates, God was just working in his soul to just create these songs that we're still singing. He was, he's, he's, uh, he's not been around for a while, okay? So these are old songs. And now the difference between this song that Charles Wesley wrote and Let It Go or uh, Hakuna Matata or whatever of these other songs is the source of the story. It's the story that's behind the song. That's the difference. These lyrics from Charles Wesley are not based on a movie that's meant to entertain you or even to instruct or teach you some kind of a lesson. 
For the record, Hakuna Matata is not a good lesson. That's what Lion King's about is, you know, Simba's learning that that's not a good life choice. Okay, but uh, it's not meant, Charles Wesley's lyrics aren't meant to just teach you some kind of a lesson or entertain you. Uh, They're meant to call you to remember an actual event. So it's the remembrance of the celebration of an actual event. And this, this struck me this week that fundamentally Christmas is news. That's what, that's what Christmas is at a fundamental level. What, what this, uh, this holiday, what this season, what all of this is, it's about news. And that means that celebrating Christmas is about receiving news. More than anything else that you're going to do uh, in this next week, okay, so it's December 22nd, and if you haven't like, done whatever you're doing for Christmas, it's probably not going to happen. Okay, uh, or you can just stress out about it and maybe get something done and whatever. But uh, whatever celebrating Christmas might look like at a fundamental level, it, it must be this uh, that it's receiving news. And here's why this is a big deal for you. So you're you're here like, okay, great, I get it, it's news. Why is this a big deal to you? And it's because movies, as much as they might define a period of your life. Uh, you, you hear Star Wars, you might click back into the first time you, heard, you saw that movie and where you were and what you're doing. It might define a period of time or dominate a season of your life uh, like so many kids' movies do for me. It's just kind of like on one and then we're done with that one. We're on this one, we're done with that one. And, uh, and so very much can, uh, like uh, you can lock into like whatever period of time you're watching that movie a lot, but they, they cannot change your life. Okay, they might define or kind of call back a memory of a period, but they can't change your life. Stories don't change your life. News can change your life. You've gotten good news in your lifetime somehow that that has changed your life. You've probably gotten bad news at times. We're all sort of like one phone call away from getting bad news that's going to change our lives, aren't we? News has the capacity to change your life, and so our engagement with news is often determined by how much we perceive that it will impact us. So that's, that's like maybe too honest. Sometimes you're like you hear about a tragedy that's, you know, around the, on the other side of the globe, and all of a sudden when your family member is in the midst of that tragedy, it becomes a lot more real to you, doesn't it? So we may not want to believe, we want to we be able to say we, we're engaging with all news the same way, but that's not true. Whenever it's closer to us, it impacts us more. Uh, that's just reality. And so what, that, what I know that that means for me and for you is that our joy in Christmas will correlate with how much we understand it to be news and news that has an impact on our lives. So your ability to celebrate Christmas for all that it's worth, which is, what, which is really what I'm wanting. I'm wanting you to be able to engage with this uh, celebration in a joyful way, with joyful worship. And your ability to do that will be determined by how much you know that it's news and news that's impacting your life. Okay? And so the, the, just one big takeaway from today, if you're just writing it down, would be Christmas is the joyful news of our peace with God. Christmas is, our, is the joyful news of our peace with God. Your peace with God comes from Christmas. And so uh, that's what is at the heart of celebrating Christmas is receiving news. And so I, just as I've been thinking about you guys in this message, I, I'm thinking I want this to be the merriest of Christmases you've ever had. You might think that that's not possible based on whatever life circumstances you have going on. Maybe there's some reason or something that's precluding you from thinking that this could be the merriest of Christmases that you have ever had. Uh, but I want that to be true. 
And I want that because I want a revival of joyful worship in our church, in this community. I want a revival of joyful worship to break out, and Christmas contains the news that sparks revival. So we talk about a revival of joyful worship all the time in here because that's what we're aiming for as a church. It's not a, it's not a vision series. It's a vision we're pursuing for five years. We're going after this to say, oh, that God would bring a revival of joyful worship in our midst that would advance his kingdom in every generation. And so this news of Christmas contains uh, the, the, the flint, so to speak, of that revival, okay? So that we got to see what this is, and it's the news of our peace with God. And if that news could get down into your bones this week, if it could get down into your bones today, like down into the very deepest part of your soul, if it echoed louder in your mind than any other news, it would not just change the way you interact with a 24-hour period on December 25th, it would change the way that you interact with everything and everyone in your life. Okay? It doesn't have implications for December 25th. It has implications for your whole life. All right? We, we tend to box it off into this period of time. We, we can't open up presents until December 25th. It's not about the 24-hour period. It's about your whole life and what God is doing through that news. Okay, so that's why we've got to engage with this. And you might be like, hey, I'm just trying to ride the wave into Christmas this week. And I'm saying, what if God would do something in your heart and mind today that would allow this to be the merriest of Christmases you've ever had because you understood that Christmas is the joyful news of your peace with God? That's what, that's what I'm aiming for, for our time, okay? And so the tracks kind of that we run through on that is why do we need peace where do we find peace and how can we celebrate peace? So why, why, do, we, why do we even need it? So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 8. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, maybe you just lost yours. I get it. There's one back there. You can take it with you, and I'll be excited. Our, our, our church wants you to take that Bible with you. If you know somebody without one, take it, put it in your car, give it to that person, read it with them. Uh, it can change your life. Okay, and as you're turning to Luke, I'll tell you, Luke is not interested in telling you a good story. He's not an entertainer. He is a historian. He's an investigative journalist. And, uh, and so he's not interested in a good story. He's interested in relaying reliable information to you. That's what he is intending to do. He talks about this as an orderly account that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Luke is an orderly account so that you can have certainty uh, concerning the things that you have been taught. So that's what, that's what Luke wants for you. That's what I want for you. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. Why do we need peace? Where do we find peace? And how can we celebrate peace? So start in verse 8. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So just pause right there. You, uh, so he's kind of setting the scene here. Uh, we're, you, you might realize we just actually passed over the, the description of Jesus' birth. So don't worry. Uh, Christmas Eve service, come back. Um, but, uh, but he's setting the scene of something that's happening concurrently. Right outside, he says in the same region, this is probably around the same time that this is happening, uh, there are shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And these guys, they're just out there doing their job. Uh, they're shepherds. And so that means they take care of these sheep. And part of the job means that you got to look out for predators or thieves who would particularly like to eat sheep or steal sheep at night. Okay, so they have to do their job at night, and they're keeping watch over the sheep. And so they're just 
doing whatever shepherds do to pass the time. Uh, they don't have iPhones or any kind of uh, media devices, so they're probably telling stories. <clears throat> they're probably talking with one another. They're probably uh, looking at the stars. They're probably doing any number of things. Uh, but out of nowhere, unexpectedly, shockingly, an angel is in their midst. So whatever they thought that this night was going to look like, it all of a sudden looks really different than they were expecting. We're calling this series Surprising Joy because it's not something that anybody was like, oh yeah, and so the angel should be here around like 1045, so maybe we should just eat dinner and do dessert before he gets here, right? Like nobody was expecting him to come out of nowhere unexpectedly, shockingly, an angel is in their midst. And it doesn't just say that. Okay, keep looking at the words. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, uh, which would have been overwhelmingly, overwhelming enough, but it says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. And so this was a dark place. It's not like we have to go and do any sort of serious anthropology to know that it was probably dark outside. Okay, uh, there wasn't electricity. It wasn't like Bethlehem was just like, oh, you know, all the lights of Bethlehem were just kind of casting into the fields. There, there were no lights because there wasn't electricity. So it's dark. And so if you've ever been in a place where there's not electricity, I spent a month in Africa in a village on Lake Victoria. And uh, there was not even a little bit of electricity in this village. It was just dark at night. So we might have had like lanterns or whatever kind of able to get our house a little bit light, but if you went outside, it was just dark. And so it's into this darkness that the Shekinah glory of the Lord comes. It's, the, it's this light that's not just like, I mean, if you turn on your, if you have your iPhone face the wrong way and you turn on the flashlight on the highest level, that will hurt your eyes, okay? That, that is bright, okay? And, uh, or even if you're just in a dark room and you turn on a little bit of a light, everybody does the same thing. They're, they're kind of like shielding their eyes, uh, I do it to my daughter every time I get her up from a nap. I, like, throw up these blackout curtains, and it was, like, really dark. And it goes from really dark to really bright. And she's like, hey, you know, and she's stunned by it. And so uh, they're not just stunned by a uh, man-made light of some kind. They're surrounded by the light of heaven. And it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. We just were singing Gloria. Gloria is just uh, Latin for glory. Uh, and we're talking about glory all the time. Glory is this word that con conveys like the weight of something. So it's the significance of something, the weightiness of it. And there is, with God's glory, a light associated with that. And it lights up everything. For the record, in, when we are around God's throne forever, it won't be some ball of gas that's lighting up everything. It's his glory that is the light for us as we navigate heaven. It's the energy source. And so the energy source of heaven now moves into the space with a bunch of shepherds who are in the middle of the dark, uh, dark field. And it says that they were filled with great fear. And the, the old way of saying this, like the King James version of saying they were filled with great fear, is they were sore afraid. It just means that they were super duper terrified. Sore afraid. It's like you like old school way of getting at that. Um, the words are kind of like megaphobic. It's like ultra, phobia is fear. And so it's like this ultra fear. Down deep in their core, they are terrified. But I don't think, just as I've like reflected on this, I don't think it's just the shock of the moment that created the fear. It wasn't just like, um, I, I all the time am walking around my house it, these days for some reason, I'm like, what if there was somebody just around the corner, you know? 
that would, that would freak me out a lot, okay? And so there was, it's not just the unexpectedness, though, of an angelic being. That would be fear-inducing enough, but there's something about engaging with heavenly beings, and in this case, something about being exposed to the light of heaven, the glory of the Lord. It strikes fear into the heart of mortals. It does. Every time, every time you see this happening in the scripture, it's going to strike a fear into the heart of a mortal. And, and so what we know is these guys are not at peace in this moment. They're terrified. Their peace was disrupted. And this is the case whenever mortals encounter the Almighty or somebody sent from him. And so in verse 10, it says, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So in the midst of their fear, into this fear, the angel speaks to them, and he says, Fear not. So just try to sit next to them in this moment. Try to put yourself right next to them. So there in this moment, all of a sudden, the light of heaven shines on them, and they're exposed, and they're terrified. And then this angel says, fear not. And the question is, why? Why not be afraid? That's a question I was asking myself. Why, why should they not be afraid? The text is going to answer it, but, but it, know that it doesn't, says, it doesn't say, uh, fear not for behold, you are better than you think you are, shepherds. Fear not, shepherds. You guys are, you know what? Don't be so worried about being exposed by this light because it's going to expose how great you are. You guys are better than you think you are. He does not give them a pep talk. Fear not. You guys are the best shepherds in all of Israel. You know that? You guys are really special, and heaven has been talking, and we're impressed. We're, heaven's not impressed with them as shepherds. Heaven's not impressed with them at all. Were they special, unique as people? Yes. You are too. You are all snowflakes. Uh, you, you, joke, I mean, but seriously, you are all special and you're very uniquely created. You are uniquely designed. God's fingerprints are on you in the way that you were made. That's true. But here's the deal. You're, in one really important way, you are not different from anybody else. In one very important way, you are not unique. I'll say it this way. Any day now, I'm going to uh, welcome a second daughter into our family. Like any minute now, John has my phone in case my wife calls and it's like, leave and go to the hospital. Um, and she will be distinct and beautiful and so special to me. And you guys will be so tired of hearing about her. Um, and uh, the reality is, is that none of those things, her distinctiveness and her beauty and her specialness to me will not take away the right fear that would be struck into her heart if she was exposed to the light of heaven. Her uniqueness would not remove the need for that fear. Romans 5.12 says this. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So you might be and you are unique and special, but you are the same in one very important way. 
in, in our successes. So it's not our uniqueness that removes our fear that tells us not to be afraid or our specialness. It's also not our successes that removes our need for, for fear. It doesn't, um, our successes don't remove our failures. So it might be a religious success. Maybe you're just on a roll and you're doing everything. Uh, maybe you're doing everything City Church is asking you to do. You're signing up for the things and you're going through the motions. Maybe you're doing in your private devotional life, you're ticking all the boxes of the things you're supposed to do. Maybe you're giving away a lot of your resources. Maybe you're doing all these things that are religious successful. Or maybe it might just be your own uh, like career success or financial success or parental success. You have done your Advent study with your kids every night of Advent. None of those things will take away our failures. None of those things remove our need for fear uh, in the midst of a heavenly light. So when heaven breaks through, it becomes very clear how much we need something outside of us to make us fit to breathe the air of heaven. In those moments that you're exposed to, every time we've seen somebody in the scriptures exposed to, this, uh, to God and his glory or even just a heavenly being, there is a sense in which I'm not fit to breathe the same air, to walk these streets, to be in this same place. And uh, we need something outside of us to make us able to do that. And I think uh, in our most honest moments, if, if you've had any honest moments lately, you know that already. You know already that you're not all that you should be or even all that you wish you were. And I've had some of those honest moments lately. I've had, I feel like, more than my fair share of those honest moments lately. Moments where the weight of my failures or my perceived failures or how I'm accounting, they feel crushing. They don't just make you discouraged, they make you shameful. So I've, I've had some of those moments lately. Uh, but I want to tell you there is a wrong way to go with this awareness that we're not fit for heaven. There is a wrong way, and I, just to help you see this, you can get stuck in this cycle of self-esteem, self-centered based living, which pulls you to the surface, insisting that you are enough, insisting that the next time will be different, insisting that you are still the hero of your story, insisting that everybody else is to blame for your brokenness. So that's what this cycle does. It pulls you up to this point, and then you see the truth about yourself, and you're pulled back under, insisting that the blame belongs only to you and telling yourself that you've never been good enough and you never will be. That's how this self-esteem cycle works. It pulls you up and then pulls you down. Or maybe that's just for me. But the image that comes to mind, if you've seen Blackfish, anybody seen Blackfish? It's a documentary about SeaWorld, basically, and how orca whales aren't safe to play with. Okay, so... PSA, don't play with orcas. Uh, they are dangerous. That's what the whole movie is trying to get at. Don't play with them or think that you can train them. But basically there's this moment where one of the trainers in one of the shows, everything goes, goes south, okay? It goes wrong uh, because all of a sudden this orca, his, he, switches a flip, he flips a switch and uh, the trainer, he grabs the trainer's foot and he starts pulling him down to the bottom of this 30-foot tank and holding him down there just long enough, and then he pulls him to the top so he can just grasp, like just gasp for air long enough to get another breath, and then he pulls him back down under, back down 30 feet again, and then he pulls him back up just long enough and pulls him back down again, and he's stuck in this cycle of being pulled up and down, barely kept alive until he finally breaks free um, from the whale and is able to swim to safety. It's very exciting. 
But I think that's a lot like the cycle of self-esteem that we get stuck in, that we get pulled up to the surface just long enough to breathe and then pulled back down again. And, uh, and that cycle, I'm just telling you, can never produce peace for you. It will never produce peace in your life because the first peace that you need is with God. It's not a self-esteem-based peace that will give you real peace. Without him, there is no real peace. The self-esteem cycle will produce one of two things. It will produce pride in your successes or despair in your failures. You will get one of those two things. You might be somewhere in between them, but you won't end up somewhere different from them. You have to break free from the cycle altogether. You need something to break you free, and I'm going to argue that you need someone to break you free. So shepherds, why not fear? He says, fear not, but why not? Here's what he'll tell you why. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And this church, you've got to understand, is not good advice. He tells you he has good news of great joy, not good directions, good news, and not good resources or best practices or a really good plan. He doesn't give you any of that. He says, I've got good news for you, and good news is something that has been, has been done. It's, good news is not something for you to do, okay? You've got to understand that and let that sit deep in your heart. And so who is it for? He says it's for all the people. Good news for all the people. Could it really be good news for all the people? Could it be? I think just the the reality of who God decided to deliver this news to, uh, in some ways, it warrants us taking that seriously. These people are not special by the world's estimation. You would have driven by these people these shepherds, if you were driving by, you're going out to, I imagine shepherds are mainly in Weatherford, okay? And so if you're driving through Weatherford on your way wherever else you're going to go, okay, then you're going to drive past them. And you would not notice them. But somehow or another, God has noticed them. And he says, this news is for you. And so if you would have driven by them, but God didn't, don't you think that God would not drive past you? These people that he delivers, the, this royal birth announcement to, these are not people that live in the right zip code. They don't send their kids to the right schools. They don't say the right things, and they don't look the right way. They are, the heavenly proclamation is made to people that we would have walked by. Okay? Uh, and Luke is going to spend the rest of this gospel and its sequel, the book of Acts, explaining how this good news is for every person everywhere. It's revolutionary. It's the most radical thing you've ever heard, that this news could be actually delivered on every continent, in every language, in every culture. Every single person on this planet has an access to this gospel that Luke is going to preach. And that is good news for you because you're included. And so would you take a moment and ask God to help you believe this is good news for you today? Just in your seat, actually ask him. I talked to somebody yesterday, and they're having a really hard time. They're stuck in a very, very dark place. And I asked them, have you talked to God about this? And they said no. They're stuck in a really dark spot, believing some really deep lies. I said, have you talked to God about this? No. Why not? Because every time I do the voice that is condemning me is louder. I would say, yes, of course it is. Nothing that's not of the Lord wants you to talk to the Lord. So ask him, help you. Ask him for help to help you believe that this is good news for you today, that you have access to that today. 
And so what is the news? The news is where we will find our peace. Why do we need peace? Because we're not actually fit for heaven on our own. We don't have peace with our maker, and that is exactly who we must have peace with first. So we are in need of peace. Where do we find it? He says in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This news is a birth announcement. Where we will find our peace is in a person. And just before you kind of like say, I know this story, stay with me because that is the gospel. That is Christmas. It's not something, it's someone. Okay, and here's what you learn about this someone. They're born this day in the city of David. That's Bethlehem, okay? It was from this city. Why is it called the city of David? Because it's from this city that a young man, the youngest of eight brothers, who was unexpectedly anointed as the future king of Israel, he went to the battlefield from Bethlehem. He left Bethlehem and he went and he killed Goliath. Okay, so you want to know how that story starts? It starts with a dude leaving Bethlehem. Okay, and he left Bethlehem, killed, this, killed Goliath. That same king received a promise that someone in his family, in his family line would be the forever king of God's people. That is who King David is, and that king who he was promised, that king in this city has been born, and his name is Jesus. And it says he's a savior. He's a rescuer. That's what a savior is, somebody who rescues. Now, you might have not have been rescued from something recently, but when you have been rescued by something, you know it, okay? You have been rescued. It's not a second chance or a, a hand, okay? You don't just need a hand, uh, to be rescued. You need to be rescued all together. Christmas isn't for those who need a second chance. It's for those who need to be rescued. And he is the one, if you remember, this orca who's just pulling you down and pulling you up, pulling you down. How do you break free? He is the one who breaks you free. Whatever cycle you are stuck in in your life, he will get you off of that cycle. He alone can break you out of that cycle of sin. Uh, this also just notably about our rescue is that it's a rescue from slavery to sin that we were born into as humans and then a rescue from the wrath of God. It's not a rescue from like all of your enemies and all the bad things out there. It's a rescue of, uh, from in here. The work of Jesus is not just about things out there. It's about everything in here that he has rescued you from. God's wrath towards you. He has rescued you from that. And so he breaks you free from the cycle, uh, the self-esteem cycle, to esteem God, the thing you were made to do. And so he's, he's a Savior who is Christ. So he says, he's, uh, don't blow past these, this, these words, Savior, Christ, and Lord, they don't appear together anywhere else in the Bible. This is the one time that they're all strung together, okay? And so he's a Savior who is Christ. That means he's the anointed one, the Messiah. That's the language that's used all throughout the Old Testament. He is the promised one, the one that you were looking forward to. He is him. Christ isn't Jesus' last name. It's not Jesus Christ, like, oh, it's, you know, Jesus, Joseph Christ, or, you know, like, that's not, it's not his last name. It's his title, the Messiah, the anointed one, the foretold one, the one you were waiting for, the rescuer king. It's the Messiah. And it's translated in Greek, the way they did that is the word Christ. Well, that's English from the Greek word that means Christ. And so all of this, though, you could anticipate from the earlier parts of Luke. You could anticipate that he would be a Savior who is the Christ. 
What you couldn't anticipate is the third title he uses, which is the Lord. He is Christ the Lord. And so in translating the Old Testament into Greek, there's a word that they always used for Yahweh, for God himself. And it's this word. And so what you got to see is that God didn't just send someone to rescue you, some other person. He sent himself. He came to rescue you. God stepped into the story to rescue you. He didn't, he didn't give it to anybody else. He wasn't, hey, Gabriel, or, hey, so-and-so, or, hey, so-and-so. He had to come himself to rescue you. This is what is wild about Christmas is that God came for you. Jesus is one member of the Trinity, so that's true. The Father, Son, and the Spirit, they are all uh, unified. They are all distinct, but they are all equally God. And so that is the mind-blowing truth about the Trinity, but all of the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And that is who came for you. God himself came for you as a baby boy. And so he says this, and this is what's, again, just if you're just trying to get into it, he says, for unto you is born a savior. Jesus was born for you. You might have all these other storylines and plots running in your life, all these other things that are going on in your world. Jesus came on a rescue mission. He was not uh, just bored in heaven, so he thought, maybe I'll just step into time and, and kind of just romp around for a little while and step out. That's not what Jesus was doing. He was born unto you. And so when it's born unto you, that's a very personal statement that's being made there uh, to these shepherds. And so that for you should be received personally. And those, step, those shepherds stand in for you in this story. You. He was born to you. My daughter Lucy loves babies so much. She loves babies. And we get birth announcements from people. They come in the mail, and it's a glamour shot of their baby. Okay? I guess. I mean, there's some photographers. You know, it's, it's hard to do. Uh, and Lucy's very in tune with whether or not they have their passies or don't have their passies and all that. Um, and I, I know the families of the people a lot of times when they're, maybe Natalie just knows them, but a lot of times I know them too. And they'll, they'll send us pictures like, oh man, that's so exciting. I'm glad that they're having this baby. I'm glad their family is growing. Um, my life is impacted, but it's in this sort of like distant way. Like I will not lose one moment of sleep because of their baby. I will not be impact. I'll be impacted like down the road, but like largely my life will go unchanged by this baby that's being born into their family. But this baby... He's born unto you. Do you see that? It's for you. And the angel continues and he says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And so the surprising thing, just as you're walking through this text, the surprising thing is not the swaddling clothes. Um, those, strangely enough, I think that they were used to try to keep their limbs straight. Like it was just what they did. It was like kind of like pediatrics of the day, tie these swaddling clothes on them. So that's not what was unique. Um, it, wa it wasn't what he was wrapped in as much as where he would be laying. And it wasn't like, oh yeah, mangers slash feed troughs uh, doubled as bassinets back in the day. They were kind of like the, you know, whatever bassinets. I should know about these things. I don't. But uh, they don't double as bassinets or cribs. This was unusual. So here's how you know who you're looking for. He'll be in a trough. You're going to see the king of the world, he's going to be laying in a trough. He's the most secure person you will ever know, Jesus. 
I want to be like him in his security. He's not enslaved to look a certain way, and he doesn't need affirmation from anybody. He doesn't draw meaning from things. He gives meaning to things. He can lay in a trough. All it does is make the trough really valuable. That's what I love about my king. There is not a more meaningful trough in all of the world than the one in which my king was laid when he entered the story as my savior. It's true for you. And, so, and suddenly, we're coming to the end of this, suddenly there was uh, an angel, of, uh, with, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest. When we sing Gloria in excelsis Deo, that is Latin for glory to God in the highest. We're singing what the angels were saying. And so Charles Spurgeon, he's a 19th century preacher who said this really well. I, just, he, I feel like he captured this moment in this powerful way. He said, uh, speaking of this multitude of angels, they could not stay behind. The news spread through heaven that an angel had gone to announce the birth of Christ. And the others flew through the pearly gates and hastened to overtake the herald and reached him just as he had concluded his message. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. These cohorts of the Lord came riding post-haste, praising God. They could not stay behind. They couldn't be left out of this. There was a multitude of them, and I don't think they were coerced into doing this. They knew something, and they wanted to be a part of praising God for it. Heaven knows the rescue plan of Christmas, and they want in on it. Do you see that? Heaven knows what's going on with Christmas, the magnitude of this baby boy in a trough, and so they're not going to be left out. All these angels say, I want a piece of this, and I want to say just how glorious God is for this thing that nobody sees happening. The event that was unfolding uh, in insignificance to the world was of utmost importance to the heaven. There was a multitude. I'm not sure that there was one angel who sat out on that. And so there's two things declared here. Glory to God. Um, peace between us is secured unilaterally. Peace between us and God is secured unilaterally. That means God gets all the glory for it. He's one-sidedly taken up the peace treaty with you. He's paid in full. He did that. He gets the glory for it, and heaven knows that. Heaven says glory to God. He's the way maker. It's a song I've been listening to. He's the way maker. He made a way for us. And so glory to him in the highest place, which is heaven. And then it says on earth, peace among those. Uh, uh, the old translation is peace, uh, goodwill among men, peace and goodwill among men. The better translation is men of his good pleasure or among those with whom he is ple pleased. Christmas is, hear me on this, this is, um, uh, this is slightly offensive, okay? Uh, but Christmas is not an equal opportunity celebration. It's not an equal opportunity celebration. Don't, don't get me wrong, it's equally, people are equally invited to celebrate Christmas, but people do not receive that invitation. So maybe it is an equal opportunity celebration, but it's not equally celebrated. Just engaging in a cultural celebration of Christmas is not the same thing and engaging with these heavenly hosts who are praising God for that. Peace with God precedes peace among people. If you're going to have peace among men, you have to have peace with God. 
And oh, that we would be heralds of peace by the way that we engage our neighbors and those God's put, God puts in your path. And so Daryl Bach, he's, a, he's probably the leading scholar on the book of Luke. He says it this way, the mood of this section of scripture should influence the mood of the reader. With the song in its heart, heaven sent Jesus to earth. But so often it doesn't affect our mood very much. We read it and then we're on to the next thing. So how can we celebrate this peace? Why do we need peace? Because we are not fit for heaven on our own. We can't be at peace with God in our own making. Where do we find peace? We find peace in a Savior, a Savior King, who is the Lord. And how do we celebrate peace? It says this, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, and I wonder if you would say this today. I wonder if you would say this on Christmas Day. I wonder if you would say this in the conversations you're having with your Christian community. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, you can't go to Bethlehem, but you can go to Jesus together. And you can go look and relook at the truths of this story. The shepherds heard this news, and they went to see the king. They heard the news and they went to see the king. And so for you, you receive the news of, pre, of peace by embracing the Prince of Peace. You want to celebrate Christmas better than anybody on the world, in the world today or this, this week? You want to celebrate Christmas in the most joyous way, the most authentic way? You want to really celebrate Christmas? You need to embrace the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so we need to be appropriately fearful, but also divinely comforted in order to embrace this Prince of Peace. Look at Revelation 1. This is where we're going to end. Revelation 1.17, there was somebody who, if anybody should be at peace before God on their own, it would be uh, John. It was Jesus' best friend. If anybody should be really uh, like grounded in the gospel and really get this whole thing, if they should really be able to interact with God in confidence, it would be John, I would think. But Revelation 1.17 says this. It says, when I saw him, the resurrected Christ, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he goes on, he says, but he, Jesus, laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Do you hear what he said? When I saw him, I was terrified, but then he put his hand on me, and he told me, what did you tell him? I'm God. I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died. For who? For you. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. And he's got the keys to death and Hades. So I think some of you need Jesus to put his hand on you. So just let him comfort you today. Let him embrace you today. Not by calling you to see how great you are, but calling you to see how great he is. That's what Christmas is. And so you celebrate Christmas by embracing the Prince of Peace, and then you let peace echo into your exchanges, exchanges with people that you happen to be on the phone with, people that come into your house, people whose house you're staying in this holiday, people who don't have a house this holiday. You let the echoes of peace with God echo into your exchanges with other people, and in so doing, God will get glory in your life, okay? 
And so Christmas is the joyful news of our peace with God. And I'll just quote Spurgeon one more time to end this thing because I love this. It's the way he ended this Christmas message. He said, what more shall I say, City Church? May God give you peace with yourselves. May he give you goodwill towards all your friends, your enemies, and your neighbors. And may he give you grace to give glory to God in the highest. I will say no more except at the close of this sermon to wish every one of you when the day shall come the happiest Christmas you have ever had in your lives. Heavenly Father, I pray that it would be true. I wish it and I pray it. Would you give this community of people the happiest Christmas they've ever had in their lives because they know for certain that they have peace with you. Thank you that there was a proclamation made about our reconciliation to you and that it still rings true today that you finished the mission, Jesus. You didn't just come, but you came and you lived a life that we never could have lived and then you died a death that we fully deserved and then you rose again from the grave ensuring that our debt has been paid in full. And so we, God, would you make us the chief celebrators of this holiday because we have more to celebrate than anybody on the planet because our God has made peace with us and so we can make peace with with one another and with those around us. God, would you help us to do this? Would you help this to be the happiest Christmas of our lives? Because we know the peace that you've purchased for us in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.